electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the next move for your money. As our own Jim Cramer says, his two biggest fears have now passed. Does that mean it's okay to buy stocks again? They are today. Which one should you buy? Our investment committee debating that question. With me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone, Sarat Sethi, Josh Brown, and Pete Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go to the wall and check the markets. Another big move for stocks today. We've now gotten back all the losses of this week. Dow is good. What highs of the day? 540, 1.5% for the Dow. The S&P, 1.3%. NASDAQ's good for 1%. Russell, 2000 having a pretty good day as well. All right, Pete, so I teed this up with Kramer. While I've still got plenty of worries, he says, two of the biggest have now been taken off the table. The Fed's going to remain accommodative and Evergrande, you know, okay. So it's, that situation doesn't seem like it's going to be contagious around uh, the world. So are we good? Are we good again? Uh, I still worry, though, Scott. I mean, you know, that, that's what we do for a living, right? I mean, I think one of the biggest concerns still has to be Delta, you know, what other variants are maybe potentially out there? And I think that's something that's going to hang over us for a while. And, and it's because we're still fresh just pulling out of this thing, hopefully. But it doesn't mean it's completely gone. and It doesn't mean that that can't still be a factor in the market. So, you know, I'm cautious. I like what we're seeing. Obviously, when we see that kind of a bounce and the hurry that we've seen, we talk about velocity all the time, Scott. And this is about as much velocity as you can imagine. We were down nearly 1,000 points just days ago, closed down 600. And all we do for the last couple of days is just absolutely rocket to the upside. We watched volatility come back down from almost 29 all the way back underneath 19. So there's a lot going on within the market itself, and I think there's comfort levels that people are getting. I think the most interesting thing for me, though, Scott, is this. The uniformity of the move to the downside, it wasn't just one single sector that was dragging everything down, but that uniform move to the downside followed by this uniform move to the upside. And great participation from materials, from energy, from financials, from industrials. It's just been a really, really, uh, I, I think from the standpoint of healthy, I think it's healthy that it's not just one area that's pulling us down or pushing us back up. All right. So what a difference a few days make. Uh, right, Josh? So we're, we're, I think, thinking that Evergrande is not going to be China's Lehman moment. The head of UBS says not keeping him up at night. Jay Powell yesterday says, OK, the taper's getting closer. Leesman made, I think, the best point of, of all and really put all of this into perspective yesterday for us when he said they're still doing more than what QE2 was, even if they start tapering bond purchases. So you're still going to be awash in liquidity. Pete talks about Delta variant, still cautious about that. Several companies are starting to look past it. Southwest Airlines, they think it's peaked. Carnival Cruise says they're on pace to restart 50% of the fleet by October. Merck sees the potential for a COVID antiviral approval by the end of the year. Darden does a beat and a raise. New record high for that stock today. I, same question I asked Pete at the top. Are we good? That, so we forget about what happened a few days ago. We're good? 
I mean, uh, as tempting as it would be to just be like, yeah, we're good, like, as we all know, the next thing that shocks the market is not something that's on anybody's list of things to worry about. Like, by, by definition, it's always the exogenous thing that you're not thinking about. So it ain't going to be inflation. It ain't going to be the Fed. Uh, it's going to be something like Evergrande that comes out of nowhere, and that will produce volatility. But I think on this show, we got it right, Judge. If anybody wants to rewind the tape and see what we were saying on Tuesday in the wake of that horrible day, we were laughing. I said I was a hungry hippo when you asked me if I was still buying. Like, I, I, I think, look, Warren Buffett, somebody asked him once, like, what's the most important trait of a good investor? He said if he had to choose between the two, he would take temperament over intelligence because everybody's intelligent, but not everybody has the temperament to compartmentalize like worries about Delta virus and this and that and like look at the forest and not get too caught up in in the individual trees. And the forest is healthy. Um, At its low point this week, the percentage of S&P names uh, that that were still above their 50 days, so in a very short-term uptrend, fell to 20%. That was the lowest level that we've seen going back to last November. Historically, during the entirety of this rally, those moments where you get that washout in the percentage of stocks above their 50-day, that's where people have been paid uh, for, for, for being intrepid and, and buying. So now, look at today. The RSP is outperforming the SPY. The RSP is the Invesco equal weighted S&P. So it's up 1.7% versus 1.3% in the markets. It's a very healthy tape. And then you think about some of these stocks that are consumer-oriented or cyclical, uh, Discover and Capital One Financial. These are very sensitive to the environment for the consumers. Okay, They're well, going hog wild. Uh, Morgan Stanley, JPM2. Go ahead. Let me just stop you for two seconds, because you say it's a very healthy tape. Those are the words you used. You still have 41% of the S&P 500 and 42% of the NASDAQ 100 in correction or worse. So there's, there was a lot of technical damage done. There was a lot of damage done below the surface. And some of those stocks that got obliterated remain in, in need of oxygen. They're, they're ripping. Those are the, the stocks that got hit the hardest are ripping the hardest. The transports are up over 1.5% today. They may have bottomed. Uh, MGM looks amazing on an absolute basis. Relative to the other casinos, it's a god. Energy is up almost 3%. The hardest hit sectors are the ones that are ripping. I don't know how, how much more clear can I make this? So when we talk, look at Jets, J-E-T-S, E-T-F, airlines. Look at uh, Live Nation about to make a new record high. The Delta worries that have crushed those stocks all summer, that's fading. These stocks okay. are breaking back out. So you're, you so, answered so my question. I'm just making the point. You answered my question with a yes. Yeah, I'm just. When, we, when I say, are we good? I, I just want to. You're I, saying yes because you just built no, the case for why no, we are. Because we're, 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 only, we're always only just good for now. The next thing will be the next thing. And so when I talk about temperament, you have to cleanse your timeline of the people who speak in the most extreme terms and the people who go out in a VIX spike and try to scare everybody else into signing up for their newsletter. That, you can't have that in your life. If you do, you're not going to make the most of the next Evergrande scare. You will not be there when you need to with the right attitude if you surround yourself by the most okay. extreme Carrie, uh, voices. Carrie, Wells Fargo today says, while we still expect some short-term noise in stocks, but ultimately we think equities melt up into year-end as the worst of COVID is behind us. This doesn't seem all that complicated to me when yeah. 
you know, in the face of notes that come out that say we're going to have a 10 or now we're going to have a 20 percent pullback with a bunch of nuance behind, you know, all of the reasons why. I still think, and you take Southwest Carnival, Merck, Darden, and whoever else you want to put on the list, you get past the Delta variant with a Fed that's still highly accommodative. Why would you not have a great scenario for stocks to melt up into year end? Well, melt up is a big term. I think that the market has been very resilient this year. If you think about how it has ground higher all through this year with Worries about COVID, Delta, inflation, interest rates, whatever scandal you want to pick in China or the U.S., we've continued to grind higher, and there's been turmoil under the surface. We've had many rolling bear markets, but the market overall has gone higher because there's liquidity despite all the money that's been spent on houses and consumer spending and investments by companies, just lots of capital available to go into the market And the market wants to go higher because if you take a dip of 4% as we did from peak to trough this week, all people wanted to do was buy. And and we have remained very positive about the market, but melting up, I mean, you know, we're up 20% this year, roughly. Uh, What does that mean? Does that mean we're going to end up 25%, 30%, 40%? Maybe it does, right? Maybe Dubrovko, Lakos, for example, from J.P. Morgan, if he says 4,700, and I think Costin's at 4,700 too of Goldman, if you get well, there 10%. from here, if you get there from here, that yeah. that's a melt up. That's the same as what we were in 2019, right? 30% up. Uh, 10%, you know, between 5% higher in the fourth quarter is possible. But, you know, let's remember that the market can trade around and it could be flat for the quarter. I think the point is we're not seeing the big decline, which which a week ago there were a lot of people <laughs> saying, oh, Friday, it's the beginning of, you know, the big correction right. and everybody run for the hills. That isn't what happened. Uh, we didn't talk about that last. I mean, I haven't been a believer in that. Uh, I believe in the resilience of the market. Can I just show you this quickly, this chart that shows how the market has gone up this year? Value and growth about the same. This is as of yesterday. Growth was 2% higher than value. This could change today or tomorrow, uh, given what the market is doing and the broadness of the market. And we had the big first quarter with reopening, big second quarter with growth. Uh, this quarter, it's been more growth than value, but it's just showing that we, we have an economy that continues to be positive. Okay, you, you make a great point. I'm glad you put up the chart because I do want to have a discussion about growth versus value, and I want to do it, at least start it with Surat, because I'm wondering now if you take a comment from Southwest and you combine it with the information from Carnival and you add in Merck, and you say, okay, I'll raise you a Darden, which beat and raised. Do you now think this will be the epicenter stock moment, the cyclical stock moment yet again, Surat? Because now we can maybe start to see the light at the end of the Delta Tunnel. Yeah, and I, and I think the stocks are reflecting that, Scott. I mean, you look at, uh, to, to Josh's point with the jets, and you look at the cyclicals, you look at energy, they are reflecting it. Uh, but it, it's a broad combination of the value stocks that are going to do better now because their earnings are going to go up. And, and really, their value for a reason. The stock's multiples are really discounted to, to a pretty low level. So, but, but having said that, I think you still need to be 
in the broad market as well, because there are companies on the other side of that trade, on the on the growth side, that are also going to do well with the environment we're in. And, and with interest rates this low, and even if the Fed does taper at some point, there's really nowhere else to go. I mean, the bond market right now is so expensive. So people are looking, whether it's the value trade or the growth trade, and really to be comfortable where you want to be. But I, I do think that the market is poised to keep on going. Okay, so Pete, then you're going to get the everything rally that Tom Lee is calling for. If you, if you say, okay, the cyclical sectors that you're looking at today and you cited at the top of the show, I mean, I could come back and say, you know, what's up with, with big tech hasn't done all that well lately. Are you going to have a cyclical rise at the expense of big tech? Apple, you know, hasn't done that great lately. Facebook's down four and a half percent this week. Well, I know that it's a singular story, perhaps, of which has been impacting that one. Amazon, not so great lately. Apple's down three and a half percent this month. Does any of that matter? Or is the story going to be more comprehensive and going to be that everything rally that Tom Lee says is coming? Well, and, and, and Scott, if you go back even just the last year, we had that pause in the tech stocks, and we talked about that um, on a daily basis, it seemed. But we did have that pause, that long waiting for the techs to actually participate the way we'd like to see them participating. It took some time. They, it seemed like they were catching their breath, so to speak. And eventually, yes, they kicked in once again and had some pretty major moves. So, you know, I, I look at more as uh, what's really leading the markets, and it's okay if tech's not always in that leadership role. Every once in a while, they do pop right back in there, and suddenly you've got, you know, everything from Apple to NVIDIA to whatever all moving up in, at the same pace, and they're all just rocketing to the upside. But I think it's okay that they pause here and there. I think that's been part of the healthiness of the markets. I think that's exactly why we're not that far away from all-time highs because we've constantly had this rotation of any kind of leadership. And, of course, for a while it was just Fang leading the way. But the good news was eventually we started to see other sectors really start to kick in and start to add to what we were seeing out of tech, specifically Fang, and out of the semiconductors and so forth. So, you know, Scott, I, I continually look at the market and I try to find out what, what looks healthy or not. And, and Josh said the same thing about the healthiness. I think we are seeing the way we have moved this week and come back off of those lows and directly at a lot of the names that we're getting hammered, we're seeing a pretty nice uh, reflection of that now in terms of what we're seeing today in this big lift to the upside. Josh, we had Mike Wilson on earlier this week, and I, I reference, you know, a few moments ago about these nuanced calls and calls for a 20 percent correction. And we've made the case all throughout the last many weeks that the only way that you are going to get the Mike Wilson correction is if the leadership of the FANG and the mega cap technology stocks suddenly gives itself up and rolls over, while at the same time, the cyclical or so-called epicenter stocks continue to underperform those larger cap, larger growth technology names. You could have a period of underperformance if this is the beginning of that in big tech, where you don't have the big correction, because of what we said at the very top. And that is a pickup in sectors that are directly tied to a robust and rebuilding and reemerging economy once you get past the Delta variant. That's the thing that saves the correction. Yeah, look, I, I think if people, if people want to remember back to last May, we had this explosion in the quote unquote value stocks. And a lot of them are cyclicals. Uh, a lot of energy in there and banks and things that are both economically sensitive 
and pay good dividend yields, etc. And if you look at how the fangs acted for that stretch of time, and it went on for like three or four months, and it was major. Like there was a massive move for, for half the market, and then and the fangs just sat still. They really didn't kill you. It was just that they were a source of funds for other trades that people wanted to do. And that's like what should happen. And one of the things that is the counterpoints, people that look at the breadth of the market, or they say the advanced decline peaked in February, which is true, by the way. Um, what, what, they don't keep in, what they don't remember is how many times we've looked at the market in the last few years and said, this isn't healthy because there's no dispersion. It's like all or nothing. It's risk on, risk off. Everything goes up together. Everything goes. We have so much dispersion in this market. We have sectors and subsectors and sub-industry groups that are oscillating between their own bull market and their own bear market. And some of them are doing that in line with the broader tape, and some of them are doing that counter-cyclically. And it's perfectly okay for that to be the case. So I think it's really, really important to like say, all right, first things first, what's the big picture trend for the market? Obviously, it's higher on almost every time frame you could look at past 90 days. But then the second question is, like, what is the participation? And on any given day, you can find sectors that are bright red and bright green, regardless of what the overall market is doing. And that's how things should be. That's a normal environment. It's way better than the all-in, all-out nonsense. And we've been through those moments, too. I prefer this. I don't need every stock in my portfolio going up on the same day, at the same time, for the same reason. It's not necessary. Let's talk about some of the things that are, are really rocking today. Pete, you're seeing some monster activity in energy, aren't you? We are. And, and you know, Scott, this has been a theme for a really long time. We've talked about it and then have way too much exposure probably right now in energy. A lot of it on the option side, so at least that reduces some of my risk. But, yeah, the XLE, we saw some giant call buying there. We also saw in the XOP. So we're looking at these these different ETFs in energy that are absolutely, you know, earlier in the week, we had XOP. Now things weren't looking so good. We had some monstrous buyers in there and the stock absolutely, or that ETF absolutely rocketed to the upside. They're not satisfied with that. They want even more. They're way out into November. As a matter of fact, the XLE, the options that we're seeing are out in last week of October. So a lot of option activity out there, Scott. They've been right. They've been right for almost a year because I go all the way back to November when we first started seeing an abundance of hits coming in across energy, not just the big names. I'm talking about all those beta names. And you take a look at the XOP and the makeup of that, and you can look underneath that, and you can see all the various names that are absolutely just flying of late. Now, they move to the downside the same way because of their beta, but the upside move has been there, especially with oil 38 all the way up to 72, 73. So this is something I think that's really special. And, and what we're seeing the options is telling me it's not over yet. Surat, you take a look at the XLF today? Look. You see that? I have. Um, and it, yeah. And, and, it, and if you look at the stocks in there, I mean, to your point, Scott, the epicenter stocks, look at American Express. Uh, you know, that, that's coming out pretty fast now, too. And then look at the other J.P. Morgans, Morgan Stanley's uh, of the world. They're all doing well. And I think, you know, part of that is, hey, uh, we're looking forward through COVID, through, through Delta. And then part of that is, uh, you know, earnings acceleration. And the stocks trade at 12, 13 times earnings. We're a market that yeah, I mean, But one day, come on, one, one day hey, doesn't. Hey, Judge. What? Before we move away from the banks and energy, I want to I give the viewers two 
uh, potential monster breakouts, it, one for each of those sectors, because this is what the people I talk to are looking at. Um, they're not reading Chinese 10Qs. Uh, the first one is J.P. Morgan, which I'm long. And this is a stock that printed a high of 166 in June, basically fell asleep for the rest of the summer. It is now back to challenging those levels. Um, this, this is a name that it very rarely breaks out, but when it does, the moves are large because people feel left out of a very obvious trade. I could see a scenario where the taper starts, let's say, in November, you get a little bit of a steepening in the bond market, and they go wild for this stock, take it to 180. Like, I could totally picture that happening. We've seen things like that before. The other one is Apache. I'm not in this stock. I don't own any energy stocks individually right now. But this is a name that's been in a downtrend for 10 years. Look at a chart back to 2012. Um, it's been this pattern of lower lows, lower highs. Today is a monster move. Looks like a big breakout in the making. If it snaps that downtrend and that lines up with the fundamental improvement for oil companies for the first time in a while, like this is the kind of high quality name that people have forgotten about. It used to be called Apache. Like nobody even knows this exists anymore. This looks like a monster breakout in the making. I'm not in it. I might get in it at some point. Uh, but there are a lot of setups like that in, in mid cap and large cap stocks. And it's exciting to see something other than NVIDIA setting up for a big move. So I, I, that's, 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 I think, what we want to be focused on right now, um, even more so than, than the macro headlines day by day. We know we're going to have this stupid debt ceiling thing. Like, let's look past that and see hey, how hey, companies Scott. are doing. Yes, sir. Scott, I'm going to. OK, so so, Josh, I, I agree with you on JP Morgan. And, and by the way, we own Apache. Just so you know, Apache's not a high quality energy company. Apache is one of the high, most highly debted, indebted companies out there. It yes. is a good company. It's got great assets, and that's why we own it. But it's not high quality. I don't put it in the Chevron world or the Exxon world in balance sheet. This company almost I think relative. Yeah, I think, I think relative to, to other XOP names. Right. Okay. So I just, just wanted to, to, just for the viewers out there, this is not one you go out there and say, you know, structurally this one, if gas goes it's down not 50%, <laughs> they could be in. It's not Chevron. No, anyway. we, we agree. That's one hell of a move. Um, but in the ex, of the XOP names, it's a big move. Yeah, not just today either. Agreed. Year to date, I think I just saw 50 plus percent. I, I want to go back to the exit. There it is. There's, there's the today's move. Uh, and there is year to date, 52%. I want to stay on the, the banks and the financials for a minute. With you, Surat, because you, you said a couple things I kind of take issue with uh, because of what you didn't say. You sort of paint a picture as to why the banks are moving the way they are today as mm -hmm. looking past COVID, this, that, and the other thing. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. The banks are looking at the 10-year today. That, uh, the 10-year's at 140. Yeah. Right? It's a 5% move in the 10-year. That's why they're moving higher. And uh, what I, I was going to say I, before I we disagree. broke off on, on, on something else was... Yeah one day does not a trend make and these things have fooled us before so let's acknowledge and, and that as we try and paint a rosy picture for the financials which have driven people fits i completely agree and i'm one of those that it drives fits too because i've got close to 20 percent of my portfolio there in financials so you know one day you feel like a king and the next day you're like what's going on but what, what I, what the, the point is, it's got to be part of a diversified portfolio. You're still getting dividends on most of these stocks. And by the way, there are stocks in there that we own that we are taking profits, not, not because we don't like them, but because they've done really well. Like I mean, what? look at Blackstone. Blackstone is a stock. Blackstone. 
Blackstone's at $125. You know, we've owned it for, for the last couple of years. It's been a rocket ship. It is now too big a part of some of our portfolios. So you've got to take some money out. Not to say I don't like it again. It's just done really well. Silicon Valley Bank. That thing has been a home run as well. That thing is tied to the NASDAQ. Again, love the company, but you just got to be careful and say, you know, don't fall in love with the stock specifics either, because some of these have done really well. And then some of them I still think are cheaper, like the Morgan Stanley's, even JP Morgan and, and you know, American Express. So uh, I am within there diversifying the portfolio, but I'm not just falling in love with the sector and saying, you know, these stocks are going to go to the moon because at some point they will reflect what's there and then we got to cut it back. Kerry, give me 30 seconds on American Express, which I know you own and like as well. 30 seconds. Yeah, it's a reopening stock. Reopening stock, business travel, higher interest rates, big float, and it's bank and cheap. That's well, that less le- than 30 That was seconds. less than 30. All right, I'll, I'll give you a few seconds back before we get out of here today. All right, still ahead. The committee is making a lot of moves. Plus, we're going to hear from a CEO of one of the big banks, BNP by USA. We'll get his take on the Fed, the economy, the fallout from Evergrande, and much more. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. More than three million infant loungers from Bobby and Pottery Barn have been recalled. Eight infant deaths have been tied to the products. The risk is that babies can suffocate if they roll or are placed in a position that obstructs their breathing. Americans drove more than 290 billion miles in July. That is up 11.5 percent from last year, with the biggest gains in the western states. Team USA mandating COVID shots for all athletes and staff heading to the Beijing Olympics. Team members have until November 1st to get vaccinated if they're using team facilities or training centers. All team members representing the U.S. must get their shots by December 1st. And in Florida, a member of the state house has introduced an abortion bill that's similar to the one passed in Texas. Florida is one of several states where Republicans have shown support for abortion laws that allow people to sue others involved in illegal abortions. And on the news, how Democrats are responding with new legislation in Washington. Tune in tonight at 7 Eastern. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Uh, Rahel, appreciate it very much. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. Now to Steve Leisman, who has breaking news. 
And I think we have a record in net worth, Steve Leisman. Good call there, Scotty. Uh, U.S. household net worth rising by $5.8 trillion in the second quarter to a fresh record. That net worth is $141.7 trillion with a T in the second quarter of 2021. Powering that were stocks, which added $3.5 trillion of this amount. So that's a big number right there. Real estate also adding $1.2 trillion. Debt, $17.3 trillion. Uh, and total government debt, $28 trillion. Consumer credit growing at a pretty healthy pace, 8.6%. Mortgage debt, everybody's buying houses, so they're taking on debt to do so, up 8%. Federal government debt, up 9.6%. So, guys, when you think about the outlook, remember, there is a lot of wealth out there in stocks, despite that modest sell-off we had on Monday. And plug that into your economic forecast for consumer spending and the wealth effect. Scott? Before I let you run, Steve, just quickly, because we have you and we did speak to you yesterday, what do you make of the market's reaction post-Fed? You know, I I think what's now out there, Scott, is this idea that the Fed is going to be accommodated for a long time. Some people call this hawkish. I don't think so. What was hawkish when we reported in August, you know, that the Fed looked like it was going to be tapering this month? So you get another month reprieve. We talked yesterday, $660 billion of additional uh, uh, purchases, even while the Fed is tapering. And you know what? So there's a big debate. You know, is it the end of 2022 they hike rates or 2023? It's still just a quarter point. I know the smart guys around and women around the table there right now are not making long-term investment decisions based upon a quarter here or a quarter there. Well, Scott. I said that the most important thing I think I heard yesterday wasn't necessarily from Jay Powell. It was from you, where you said that we're still going to be doing more than QE2. And I think, you know, the market, I think, gets it and understands that there's it's still going to be a wash in liquidity, even if they take a little bit away. Can I just add one more thing to that? Remember, these are pandemic emergency programs. And it's hard to argue either the stock market or the economy is anywhere near the pandemic. If you want to get concerned, it's on whether the Fed is staying too long, not whether or not it's leaving too early. Yeah. Or if it has to get more involved, perhaps next year, like Jamie Dimon wonders himself if inflation gets worse or or stays a little more sticky. Yeah. Steve, good stuff. I appreciate it. That's Steve Lee. No, I'm sorry. Finish your thought. No, finish your thought. It's okay. Finish your thought. I was was just I was just going to say that the issue of uh, inflation remaining out of control or otherwise being something the Federal Reserve has to address by bringing forward rate hikes. That, to me, is a much bigger concern. I don't know how big a concern it is. We need to look at supply chains, all the other fun stuff about pricing. And I think we talked about this yesterday. I'll I'll repeat it. The idea that companies are finding some resistance at raising prices, that's good news for the inflation story. What may be bad news for earnings stories, if if you're concerned about the macro situation, Mm -hmm. if they can't raise prices, they run up against a barrier. Margins. That's good news longer term for inflation. Margins, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. And and a hit on margins. Steve, thank you. That's Steve Leisman. We are continuing to talk about those two major stories this week, the Fed meeting and the developing situation with Evergrande in China. For more on both, let's welcome in Johnny Filion. He is the CEO of BNP Paribas USA back with us. Nice to see you. Welcome back. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for having me. I, I set up the major stories we're focused on, and there are so many, but I'll ask you to play off what Steve Leisman was just talking about. Your own takeaway from what Jay Powell and company had to say yesterday Taper's getting closer. When do you think it's going to happen? And what do you think the market impact is going to be? Well, I think, Steve, uh, 
summarized it very well, actually. I mean, what happened yesterday, the announcement from the Fed, was already well anticipated by the markets, uh, tapering probably before the end of 2021, you know, uh, hiking rates sometime in 2022. There is a decoupling between tapering and, and rates uh, hiking. Listen, we will still be in a very low rate environment, and uh, we believe it's just continuing. It, it will continue to support a robust and strong economic growth in, uh, in 2022 and 2023. As mentioned as well by Steve, I believe that the central banks today, by the way, it's Fed and ECB, are quite well equipped to moderate, monitor, uh, the uh, inflation dynamic. And honestly, if you look at the yield curve, at least today, and uh, it's flat, it's flattened, it's, it's, it's flatter probably. And, you know, the, the 10 years is still around, you know, 1.4, which, which shows that long-term investors are still uh, very, uh, very cautious about uh, 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 inflation going forward. Not, not to mention, I mean, you look at the reaction in the, in the stock market today and what happened post-Fed, the most telegraphed, arguably, taper ever, uh, obviously makes investors feel good. I would imagine it's helpful to a CEO running a large financial institution in the United States as well. It it is, and as it relates to... To, um, uh, to investors and or investor clients, really their main challenge today is to, is to find yield. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, U.S. equities close to, you know, a full cycle, fixed income with expectations of uh, rates going up, you know, limited return. Then they really uh, look into uh, private assets, you know, private equity, CLOs, uh, uh, venture capital, distressed debt, uh, on the issuer side, though, our issuer clients have highly benefited from this still low rate environment. You've seen a lot of balance sheet optimization, liability management, and, and in terms of you know, activity, high yield is already at a record year uh, for 2021. You have uh, over $360 billion of uh, high yield bond, uh, new issuances for $60 billion for loans. And high grade is, is really uh, uh, quite active as well. Two weeks ago, we had the highest uh, uh, high grade week in terms of volumes, 80 billion, which is really fueled by both M&A and, and this uh, quite active liability management. We've been very active supporting our clients in, the, in US dollars, in euros as well, to help them uh, optimize their activities. I've mentioned, you know, what a difference a couple of days make. You know, we're sitting there worried about Evergrande and whether it's China's so-called Lehman moment. I'm wondering, and we've had a number of voices come on, by the way, I think a majority and suggest that it's not, at least in in their own minds. I'm wondering how you see it. Um, You are part of a global institution, obviously, Mm -hmm. with major you know, implications and offices and business around the world. How are you thinking about all of this as it unfolds from a global standpoint? You, you, you know the bank very well, uh, uh, Scott, obviously. We, we have a strong presence in uh, Asia-Pacific. We have 18,000 staff there across 13 countries. We have 500 staff in China. Then we have presence. We have boot in the field. Uh, as it relates to Evergrande, obviously, it's a serious situation, but we see it as quite contained, both in terms of uh, sector, you know, mainly Chinese real estate, and in terms of counterparties, 
mainly, mostly Chinese counterparties. I mean, historically, we've seen the Chinese administration, you know, taking care uh, of these type of situations, resolving them, you know, by themselves. And, you know, the linkages between the Evergrande situation and the strong U.S. corporate reserves and the strong U.S. equity markets, we see it as being not very significant and don't see a, a short-term or uh, you know, medium-term uh, contagi- contagious impact. You know, on, on that note, we've been having a conversation for weeks as to whether we're going to have this long-awaited correction in the stock market, where we are in the economic cycle as a result of what's happened with the Delta variant. Do you personally, mm-hmm. the way you sort of view things, do you think we're closer to the beginning of a period of sustained and strong economic growth or, or closer to the end? Because that is really the question that matters most, I think, on all behalfs, whether it's the investor base we're speaking to, the corporate base, or, or wherever. Where we are truly in the cycle, closer to the beginning or closer to the end? I think you're spot on, Scott. And uh, our view uh, at BNP Paribas, if I, used, if I look at the, 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 the region I'm in charge of, you know, the United States, I think we see a very strong economic recovery, you know, around the 6% range for GDP growth, and still, you know, being fueled uh, uh, by uh, an accommodative monetary policy and still a strong fiscal stimulus. Uh, and, and to be continued in 2022, we expect a GDP growth around 4%. But, you know, in Europe, and you and I for you know, many years have been uh, looking at differences between U.S. and Europe. Here, I've seen a lot of actually convergence throughout COVID-19. We see actually Europe you know, in a very strong recovery mode as well. We expect uh, a 5% you know, GDP growth for 2021, continuing into uh, 2022 with similar monetary policies, fiscal policies. Now, a kind of joint interest in uh, green infrastructure and digitalization Notice that in Europe, we, the inflation is not the same uh, issue and the same dimension as what it is here. Then it should probably fuel a strong economic uh, recovery uh, over time as well. And it's probably good for the global economy as well, because when you have this kind of uh, recoupling or uh, resynchronization between the two, uh, two of, uh, important economies in the world, I think it's, it's, it's positive for a sustained Growth. By the way, as you were discussing earlier, you know, equities and equities uh, strategy, allocation, reallocation, I, I would recommend to take a close look at European equities today because we believe they are uh, reasonably priced. And with this uh, fast recovery and expected economic growth, by the way, the vaccination rate in Europe is actually, uh, 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 we've caught up. It's, uh, it's over 70%. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that, that might be a good reallocation to look into. I'll put that to my investment committee. I appreciate you teeing that up. Johnny Filion, it's always good to see you. Welcome back to Halftime. We'll see you soon. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care. All right. The investment committee is buying in this market. We're going to give you their latest moves next. I got Pete Nigerian's unusual activity coming up as well. More than 150 global companies like Carnival, Shell, and shipping giant Mayersk issued a call this week for the shipping industry to be carbon neutral by 2050. Shipping contributes 3% of global carbon emissions, but according to S&P Global, that could increase to 17% if steps aren't taken. 
And that's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Okay, Carrie, are you ready? Because you have a lot of moves that we need to talk about today. You bought more. I'll go down the list and you can explain whatever you want to do. Netflix, Health Equity, Integer Holdings, Booz Allen, Fortive, Wabtech, Lidos. You've been busy. Yeah. yeah. So what they all have in common, Scott, is that they corrected. You know, there were stocks that have not done well recently, such as Lidos, or they have been on an uptrend like Netflix, but pulled back in the last couple of weeks. They all, we expect, to have strong earnings over the next year. So they have that in common. We don't think they're priced expensively relative to the market or their competition. And we see opportunities right now at the prices we added to positions And for some clients that didn't have these names at all, we thought these are opportunities. We had to take advantage of the price correction. And and that's primarily what we did in in all cases. WAPTEC is is a reopening trade. And and that is obvious. It's an infrastructure play. But, you know, there's a mix in there, as you saw. Sure. But Netflix, though, hasn't hasn't been a big pullback in that, right? I mean, that that thing's done really well lately. So, you know, not everything is a pullback. I need to buy more story, right? Well, it, it did pull back somewhat. If you look at the chart, it had a really strong month or so, came back a little bit, and we thought, you know, add, add a little bit where we, um, where we were underweight. Netflix has the opportunity right now of bringing out content that they were not able to produce during, you know, the, the big bulk of COVID. Everybody thinks of it as a big, you know, halt home COVID pandemic name, but really they couldn't produce what they needed. In the second half of this year, it's beginning to really show up. And next year, there'll be much more content. And, you know, that we believe will be a catalyst for the stock to continue to outperform. Surat, you bought more of our parent company. I did. Um, so last week, the CFO was at an industry conference and talked about the unevenness of the earnings, but did not bring down the overall earnings projections. Stock got hit hard, uh, over 6% on that news. We've been buying it before. We thought this is a great opportunity to add more to a high-quality company, great cash flow. And if you look at it, it's only up 8% year-to-date. We like its, its competitors' charter as well. I just think this business for the next three to five years is some good secular tailwinds behind it. All right. Thank you for that. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We've got Pete's Unusual Activity next. It is that time again, Pete Najarian, Unusual Activity. Yeah, we're going to start off with a familiar name to all of us, NVIDIA. And this one's pretty interesting, Scott. Stock was trading about one, or excuse me, 223.50. And suddenly we saw this giant call buyer come in, 31,000 of the 225 calls. Here's the problem, or maybe not. These expire tomorrow. So this is extremely short term. But 31,000 of those calls, they started at 45 cents. They went up a little over a dollar buying these calls. Stock was exactly where it is right now. So that one definitely stood out. 
Big trade with just two days to perform today and tomorrow, maybe a day and a half. The next one is IGT. We've had this one before. As a matter of fact, I think I talked about it early September. It's already made a pretty nice move to the upside. At that time, they were buying the November 23 calls. Now they're rolling out of those. In other words, they're selling that position, taking profits, but they still want to be in the, in the trade, Scott. So they bought 20,000 of the November 26 calls. They're spreading those off. They're selling an upside call against it, but pretty aggressive moves looking for this stock to continue to make a move to the upside. Stock was trading about 24.60 at the time of that trade. I'm looking at NVIDIA right now. It's like 85 cents away from the money. <laughs> yep, yep. It's an animal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, Nike, after the bell, you see anything ahead of that? Um, it's pretty interesting, Scott, because, yeah, we are seeing a little something. Now, first of all, the implied volatility, we all know the catalyst earnings. So th- we're looking at a much higher implied volatility for these options. But the, obviously, these expire tomorrow as well. And people are coming right after those options. They're looking for about a $9 move. We saw a very uh, strong activity at the 160 call. Stock was trading a little higher than it is right now. They were buying the 160 calls, a couple thousand of those, spreading them off, selling the upside to make it a little less expensive of the trade, but that fits right into that sort of $9 area. So potentially we could see something happening there. And obviously we all know what Nike's done. It was 174. It pulled back. And so who knows? It could, it could potentially have some nice upside. Yeah, we'll follow it for sure. Pete, thank you for that. We'll step away. We'll come back with yep. final Thanks. trades next. All right, we are, we'll call it the highs of the day. I mean, we're close enough. 550 on the Dow very big day across the board. S&P, we've gotten all the losses of this week back. So we continue to watch that. 59 points for the S&P. NASDAQ's good for basically 1% as well. Let's do final trades. Carrie, you are first. Thank you, Scott. I'd like to give a call out to Thermo Fisher, TMO. Had a great analyst day. They raised guidance for 2022 and the acceleration they had because of COVID testing and research done, which uses their products is continuing because global health is a concern and we've got it for the foreseeable future to worry about. Okay, thank you for that. Surat. American Express, uh, I think this is just the beginning of an uptrend. A lot more expenditures for business, travel, and consumer going out. Mr. Nigerian. I'm going to give you Occidental. I love all that option paper we're seeing in the ETFs, but I'd always rather be in the individual names. I think this one's going a lot higher. JB. Live Nation, there are very few triple tops in this market and almost no quadruple tops. 92 has been resistance, challenging 92 right here. Mm. Hopefully, this is the time she breaks through. I'm long. I love it. Thanks, everybody. The exchange starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.